everybody, this is Eric Elliott back here from Refocus Nutrition with another episode of the Refocus Nutrition Podcast. Uh, this week, guys, we have on an awesome guest, uh, Jason Ackerman from uh, CrossFit. Uh, he also owns Own Your Eating, which is a uh, nutrition coaching company um, out of the United States and also online that uh, helps work with people similarly to what I do in terms of coaching people through um, nutrition with a macros-based approach. Um, Jason is a CrossFit Level 4 seminar staff member. Um, He is a psychology major, former graduate, um, and we, in this episode, we kind of talk a lot about um, what, what and how he got into CrossFit. Um, but more than that, we go into figuring out how to discover your why, why that's important, um, the art of coaching, but even further than that, we talk about some nutrition and how that nutrition is really 90% psychological, um, and we've talked about that and mentioned that hundreds of times in posts on this podcast before. Um, with that being said, too, guys, it's May 26th, and that is the end of the CrossFit Open. So after five weeks of grueling workouts, especially 19.5, which was a ton of thrusters and a ton of chest bar, we're officially done this competition. Um, and it, it was it was fun. It's the same as every Open. I was happy to get through five weeks without uh, having to redo any workouts or being hurt or anything like that. I think I'm still in a really good spot when it comes to recovery and everything like that. So that was my goal. Um, I know you guys had all, tons of different goals. So share them with me and talk to them. Um, now is the perfect time of year if you're into CrossFit to figure out what's next, uh, figuring out what your goals are, because that open is really a test. It tests you what you're good at, what you're not good at. So for myself, I know that aerobic conditioning and um, so like that 20 minute time domain, basically anything over 12 minutes is is kind of grueling for me. Um, that 20 minute time domain, but also uh, strength overhead is going to be my biggest limiters going forward. Um, as well as like gymnastics movements are, are relatively good for me, but toes to bar and high volume toes to bar are going to be something I need to work on as well. So that's something that I know I have to build and program around over the next you know, foreseeable six months to the year to make sure that I'm, you know, limiting those holes and making them my strengths as we go forward. So without further ado, guys, uh, I'm going to take it to the Jason Ackerman interview and we'll see you guys again next week. And we're back, guys, with Jason Ackerman. Uh, Jason is a CrossFit Flowmaster. Uh, you're on the level four team as well, running seminars as well, I think, right? if that's right, right, Jason? Yeah, the verbiage was a little bit off, but uh, I guess the point is I work for the CrossFit seminar staff. Yeah, and he runs a lot of the seminars uh, that go on. How many seminars? Like I, I think a lot. The first time I ever heard of you was, like I said, last year um, on the CrossFit HQ podcast, which is no longer running. Um, how many? How many seminars are you up to now? Do you know? I I think I've done right around two hundred. It's hard to keep perfect track, but you know, I probably do 35 to 40 a year for seven years. So somewhere around 200, which is meeting a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And over those times, like you, there's plenty of people that have come up to you a second time and they're like, oh, I met you at so-and-so. And then you're like, I, I don't remember anything about that time. Um, I get a lot of, yeah, a lot of, hey, you were my coach. And I'm, you know, I'm always 
excited to meet them or I, or I recognize a lot of people like if we're at Wadapalooza like they look familiar but I can't pinpoint where they're from almost always I did their level one or level two <laughs> for sure the other thing that's interesting about Jason is that he owns uh, or co-owns with his wife I believe a nutrition coaching company of his own uh, called own your eating so we're going to talk a little bit about that as well but to start off with, I want to kind of dive into and get the Coles notes of who Jason is and how he got into CrossFit specifically, because I know you have a really interesting background and in, uh, you grew up, your parents wanted you to become a doctor, you went to school, uh, studied psychology. How do you get into functional fitness after that kind of an, an upbringing? Well, you really did learn a little bit about me, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> like you said... My intention was never to be, you know, 40 years old, still involved in fitness. It was always something I loved and enjoyed and had a passion for, but assumed it would be just my hobby on the side of working, you know, a standard nine to five, ideally at a hospital as some sort of doctor. Um, unfortunately, organic chemistry came about in around, you know, my sophomore year of college. And I was like, F this, I'm out of here. Um, and, you know, went the psychology route, love it to this day, but still always had that idea and even goal of getting a real job one day. And luckily, in 2006, I was introduced to CrossFit. So the way it happened was, you know, those that know my story know I grew up wrestling and I continue to compete this day in a sport called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is very similar to wrestling, a little more choking and hurting each other. But, you know, it's basically wrestling with trying to tap one another out. And it was at the end of one, I remember it vividly, it was at the end of a Saturday practice where we kind of all just sit around and chat, like no one's in a rush to go home. My good buddy, who was a black belt at the time, Chad, uh, shows me this article in Muscle and Fitness. He, like, pulled it out all proud. Jay, have you seen this? And I was like, no, what is it? He's like, it's CrossFit. Chuck Liddell is doing it. And Chuck Liddell was like the guy in MMA at the time. You, you, you probably would have recognized him, like Mohawk, tattoos yep. on his head. Super awesome guy, like very intimidating looking, but, you know, very down to earth and, you know, nice guy. So I, so I read the article right then and there and immediately go home and I'm like, all right, I'm going to look this thing up on the Internet. I don't know. I probably used Yahoo at the time, right? I don't think it was when Google was even out. And like most people, when you hear them talk about CrossFit in that age of CrossFit, it was like, Google it, find it. Uh, let's let's try these workouts. You know, it wasn't confusing. It was very straightforward. Here's what you do today. And the very next day I started. And it was no turning back after that. So I know your first workout was Cindy, if I remember that correctly. Um, yeah. what were your first thoughts after hitting Cindy? Cause that's a, that's a tough workout. Um, and there's a lot of people that might try Cindy their first time, even today and don't have all of the movements. So tell us a little bit about, yeah, your first, first instinct or first passion with that workout Cause you went all in after that. All in. So, you know, you have to understand where I was training. I was managing a gym called the court club. You know, and the court club is basically like average Joe's in the movie Dodgeball. The building was built in 1978, and there had been zero renovations or updates to it. I mean, it was like a time machine to the 70s. Shag carpets, lime green tiles in the bathroom, you know, a lot of old naked men in the locker room. And that's where I spent all day, every day. I was training people. I was running the gym. So when I see Sydney, I'm like, all right. 
or I'm, I'm going to do this. It seems a little silly to do, you know, back day, chest day, and leg day all at the <laughs> same time. But I, I'm willing to give it a go. I'm diving in. So the only place to do pull-ups was on the cable crossover. And, you know, luckily the gym wasn't very crowded. Most of the people that were members were there for the courts, racquetball and squash and handball, those types of things. So the, the Nautilus area, as they called it, was never very crowded. So I didn't really have to contend with anybody. But those that were in there were like, what's this lunatic doing now? Because they've known me for a few years and I would always, you know, try some new things. And luckily, the training I had done up to that point was relatively functional. I mean, don't get me wrong. I used machines, but I, I did do pull-ups. I did do deadlifts. Um, I, you know, I, I did some other functional movements. So I had pull-ups, but man, that workout rocked me. You know, this day and age, you asked me to do Cindy, you know, blindfolded, drunk with my pants down. I can hit 20 <laughs> rounds, no problem. I think I got like eight rounds back then. <laughs> yeah, like that's a, it's a very humbling workout. And it's, you really, outside of the pull-up bar, you don't need any equipment, right? Like it's a, it's a humbling 20 minutes. You could do it, like basically, you could do it in a park if you had the pull-up bar. So, you know, after doing doing your first workout and kind of getting into it a little bit, when did you know that, like, you already had a, a fitness career, more or less, like, you, you were making money and that was your livelihood. When did you decide that CrossFit was going to become your thing? Well, it was right around that time that I was really looking for an exit from the fitness industry. You know, it was 2006, and I had graduated college in, two, in the year 2000, and slowly worked my way towards my master's, which I finished right around that time. And I was like, all right, I'm sick of, you know, I love fitness, but I'm sick of living paycheck to paycheck. I was living in this basement apartment in Albany, New York, where, you know, it was embarrassing to bring my friends over. I had no money. And I was like, I need to get a real job. Like I, I, I gave this a go. It's time to move on. And when I found CrossFit, it just kind of opened my eyes to, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can take my, you know, I had a huge clientele base. And if I can get these people to go with me and join my facility, it could be something really big and special. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that's a big, even though CrossFit was, you know, it didn't have the name then, right? Like people know more or less what, what for good or for bad, what CrossFit is if they, hear of it in a grocery store or something today but back then I'm assuming they didn't have that name so much with CrossFit so how how did you start convincing some of those PT clients that you I'm assuming you had at your gym before to start coming over and switching to CrossFit because I know that's something you talked about on the HQ podcast was just that like there was a lot of like other trainers and things like that looking at you and being like what's this guy doing like stick to the normal routine, dude. Like you're, you're kind of painting outside the lines here. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first thing I did was just start incorporating it into all my client sessions, you know? So I had a ton of clients and I would just slowly implement more functional movements. Like they would squat more, they would press more, they would deadlift more. And then I would, I mean, really what was happening is these clients were paying me for an hour. So I would run them through like five CrossFit workouts in that hour. Um, you know, intensity wasn't quite as high. I didn't know as much about that just yet, but I was slowly kind of tricking them into doing CrossFit. They were off the machines, grabbing the barbells, using the dumbbells. 
you know, in some cases doing these new movements that I had never taught them, like the medicine ball clean or box jumps. So as they did that, they loved it. They had more fun. They were seeing results and in, in how they felt, how they looked, and it became far more enjoyable for both of us, not just for me as the, as the trainer, but for them as the client. And when I said, all right, I'm going this route now and I'm going to open, are you coming with me? They were all in. I mean, and, and, you know, back in the day with your, with my training clients, you know, they love me. These were the clients that were inviting me over to dinner, taking me out, you know, giving me these generous gifts for the holidays, for my birthday. So, you know, it was like a family. I knew they would come with me once, once I made that firm decision to open. Yeah, and I think that that actually starts laying the roots for what your book is now coming out with, The Best Hour of Your Day. I think that's still the title. You haven't changed that. Is that correct? Not yet. I, I think I'll pretty much, I think I'm going to stick with Best Hour of Their Day. But yeah, so so for now, it's still good. Yeah, and I think that that's like, that's, as a as a CrossFit coach, that's something, you know, my, my boss talks about, you know, endlessly. Um, so how did you start laying those roots? Because it's... At, at some point, you you know those clients became more than just clients. They're not just you know you didn't just give them an hour of pull ups, burpees, and deadlifts. You did something more than that, where you cultivated more of a relationship. That that best hour became you know the best part of their day, or their it carried on beyond that hour. So how did you start cultivating that, and when did you I guess realize that that relationship and building that best hour was actually more arguably more important than the fitness you were giving. You know, and I, I write about it in the book, and I think that was just something, luckily, I was gifted with at a very young age. I don't know where I got it from, but, you know, those clients that opened Albany CrossFit with me were, you know, so to, to paint a better picture, when I graduated in 2000, I was living in Albany, New York, which is very much, you know, a dreary college town, you know, and once you leave that area, you know, which most people do upon graduation, you're kind of like a local and you need to figure out life. And because I was working so hard, I mean, I was getting up at 4 a.m. and getting home at 11 p.m. five days a week, also training people on Saturday and Sunday. I, didn't, I had no friends outside of my clients. My clients were my friends. And, you know, most of these clients were middle-aged women. And, so it's me and these middle-aged women, which of course I also became friends with their husbands. But I remember my birthday parties. I remember when I graduated from my master's, these, you know, bunch of old women, not old women, but <laughs> they threw me, they threw me my graduation party. They took me out to dinner. Like that was I created a culture just among my clients. They were all becoming friends. So it became even easier once we implemented CrossFit and they were all working out together. I just realized something has to be different because I saw the alternative, which was the other trainers in there. And I knew when they looked at me and there's probably like five or six trainers in this small space that were all friends except for me. And it wasn't my doing. It was their beliefs and their thinking that I'm kind of different. And these, their clients are wondering why can't they train? Like I was training my clients. So it was their beliefs that I'm doing something wrong rather than looking at me and saying, well, what is he doing right? And it just kind of somewhat created a me against them, you know, culture there where I was like, I'm going to be even better because I want to show you guys what you could be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like super important too when you, when you think about, you know, the different, 
the different methodologies of working out more or less. Um, talking a little bit about, you know, you're now working for CrossFit, but back, I don't know exactly when you started, but when was that seed first planted for you that, hey, I want to be a red shirt. So for those of you listening who don't know what a red shirt is, that means you work for seminar staff. Um, like, was that a dream from the second you walked into your L1? Who inspired that idea? And did you really think you had a shot at doing it? So that was inspired the second I walked into my first level one in 2007. I was like, how do I become a part of this crew? You know, at the time it wasn't red shirts. I think they were black or even tan, but it was, <laughs> you know, the people like Nicole and Eva T, John Gilson, E.C. Sinkowski, Pat Sherwood, you know, those were the people that were on my level one, including Coach Glassman. And I was like, okay, I want to do that. You know, and at the time there wasn't a straight course to it. There wasn't, okay, well, well, this is what you do. It was, you know, if, if you get noticed and recognized, we might reach out to you. So after that, I in, would always ask other people to take their level ones, my members, and I would just go with them. I would pay to go again. So the first person was my girlfriend at the time. She went to do her level one and I went and took it again for the second time. Then a couple of my members went and I went to take it for the third time and a fourth time. And then finally they were like, Hey, maybe you should intern instead of, you know, always paying to be here. And I, you know, I decided to do that. And the intern process back then was a lot different. And the truth is it didn't work out for me, not because I wasn't ready, which may have been part of it, but also just because it wasn't engineered properly. There wasn't protocol to follow. It was kind of like, Hey, you can intern. That doesn't mean anything. And then as the business grew and I stayed involved in the community, I reached out to Dave Castro and I was like, hey, I really want to be a part of this team. What do I need to do? And at that point, there was a legit intern process and I hopped on. What was it about the that team that you want to be a part of? Was it the way they deliver a message? Because like, there's something I know with my level one, it was like it, the way they that seminar staff talks and delivers that cohesive message throughout the entire weekend it's it's worth every penny and more. Is it that? Or what what captivated you so much that you said, you know what? It's like I'm paying thousands of dollars just to keep going back to these things. It's not a great financial decision, but like I have to be there. What was that? You know, it it was just like you said. It was just that energy and the passion behind them that made me want to be a part of it. And you know. At the time, I wasn't really a part of anything. I was a part of my jiu-jitsu team, but that was really it. And I was like, I need to be a part of something bigger that's going to have more impact on more people and help change them. You know, and that was why I said, okay, this is it. You know, seeing the energy that Coach Glassman was bringing to every lecture and watching the coaches, I just loved it. And I can't express it well in words. I just knew I had to be a, a part of that. And it, it was funny because I, I went to so many seminars that I was basically able to spout off the lectures as, <laughs> as they would happen. I remember one time Todd Whitman was giving a the technique lecture and he was like, who knows what intensity is? And I was like, the independent variable most commonly associated with favorable, favorable adaptation. And he was like, who the fuck are you? And I was like, this is my, you know, I was like, this is my sixth seminar that, you know, easily. And, uh, you know, it was at that point that I was like, this is even cooler. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really cool story, too. 
Um, so when it comes to the, the level two seminars, the, one of the things that I know Austin talked about uh, on, our, on my podcast a couple weeks ago was the, the idea that we should, as coaches, always be trying to educate, entertain, and inspire. So like the idea that there's three different components to that, right? Because like some people, you know, you're, you're going to be educating them on movement, nutrition, whatever it happens to be, uh, lifestyle. But the other two things too speak more to the, the less of the fitness part and more to the lifestyle and also um, just more of the like entertainment and best hour of your day part. So how do you juggle all of those three without being just like a, a drill Nazi and, and doing, you know, functional drills that are going to get them better at fitness, but also doing the other ones that are entertaining and inspiring? Because obviously, if you've been wearing a red shirt for, you know, seven or eight years now, You've done you've done the ed, the educate part. You've obviously, as we talked about, done the inspire, and you've entertained for that long. So, how do you master that tool? Yeah, you know, it, it, the truth is, it has to come from deep within. If you have to summon up that ability to inspire and entertain, it's probably not the right path for you, or you know, and probably coaching to some extent, unless you really want to have a specific niche of you know professional athletes that don't give a shit about anything, but improving their movement, which I'm not interested in. I want to impact more people and, and the, the, the normal people of this world. And, you know, if you take those three words, educate, inspire, and entertain, chances are you've had a teacher that was phenomenal at one of them and you didn't learn well from them. You know, if you, if you think about it, if you had a, you probably had a really smart teacher. I know I have in my years, whether it was high school or college or, you know, my master's degree that knew everything, but they were boring yep. and I learned nothing because all they did was try to educate, but I can go watch, you know, I can watch a comedian on Netflix and be highly entertained and learn nothing. And I can, you know, watch someone who inspires me like crazy to run face first into a brick wall, but that wasn't really smart either. Right. So you <laughs> need to have that balance of, of all three. Cause if you're really good at one, you're not going to become the best coach out there. So it, it's really the art of coaching and also understanding who needs what. Not everyone, you know, I'm going to go coach a class later today, and I know not everyone there needs to be entertained. Maybe they have a job or a family that they're just there to really get inspired and to work hard. And then there are other people that know how to do things well, and they do need that entertainment factor to laugh, and they had a stressful day at work. So part of that is just knowing those and having those within you, which they can be developed, of course, but to have them within you and to know how much and how often to bring them out. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, it's such a, as a novice coach who's been doing it for only a couple of years, like it's, it's such a skill that has to be cultivated over years. And for you, I know, you know, you've owned three CrossFit gyms in your past. Is that right? Correct. Three affiliates. So you've owned three affiliates in the past. Um, now I don't think you, at least you don't have present ownership, whether you own any financial incentives in, within it. Uh, that's, that's different. But I know you're still coaching. How did you, I guess, or how and why did you get out of the affiliate ownership uh, game? And why did you get back into or stay with coaching? You know, getting out of the affiliate ownership was just a unique time in my life. I, you know, owned three affiliates two of which I owned at the same time. And then the third I opened after I sold the first two. But that first one that I opened in 2007 was in that building that I referred to earlier, the core club. And I kind of got limited on growth. I went from 
opening with one racquetball court, which is 800 square feet, 20 by 40, and then ultimately expanding to five courts and even paving an area outside in which we can use in the nice weather. So I really expanded and I was at a point where I wasn't able to expand anymore. There was just no room for me to grow. And I told the owner that I was going to probably have to look elsewhere to take the business. And he didn't want that. He enjoyed the members that were coming in and of course the rent that I was paying. And he said, well, what if we bought Albany CrossFit from you, which had never crossed my mind. I never anticipated that being an option. You know, so after a little bit of negotiation, we came to a price and I was like, all right, that's what we're going to do. And, you know, so it wasn't necessarily like I sought that out. It just kind of fell into my lap. And I had my other affiliate at the time and I was like, I'll focus on that. And just so happened that right at about the same time that was going down, my business partner there and I were butting heads and it just became a stress in my life that I didn't want anymore. And I offered for him to buy me out, which he did. So I went from having these two affiliates to none in a matter of you know one or two months. And it wasn't because I didn't love CrossFit or coaching, which is why I ultimately opened my third, which was going great. It was my favorite one to open because I just took every lesson I learned over the previous you know seven or eight years and maximized that we had a beautiful space, the perfect amount of equipment, the perfect schedule, everything was going well. And then I just hit me. I was like, I want to move. I want to get out of New York. This is now the only thing I have going on in my life that's keeping me here. And I just said, hey, you want to buy me out? I want to move to Florida. I want to enjoy nicer weather. And, you know, that was that. So all three for different circumstances. But I never wanted to stop coaching. I was on staff. I continued to coach. And when I moved to Florida, I knew I needed to be a part of a community to meet people. And luckily, there was this amazing box literally down the road. And uh, they gave me an opportunity and a chance to coach for them. Yeah, that's an awesome, it's, it's a great story. I mean, I'm sure we could unpack that for hours on end. Um, but it's also interesting to kind of segue into your other coaching because you are a CrossFit coach, but you're also a nutrition coach too, being that you started up that nutrition aspect of your of your business and of your personality. How how and why did you get into nutrition? Was it something that always something that always captivated you? Were you always measuring macros? I know you know from listening to the HQ podcast, you had uh, like you were riddled with that. I don't want to call it body weight dysmorphia, but you were you were like fixated yeah. on that weight, right? Because you had to make weight for wrestling, and you you instilled that within yourself as a young kid, and obviously that carried beyond that point and now you're helping people with that aspect of life and their fitness as well so why did you get into nutrition you know i get this question on almost any podcast i've been on why'd you get into <laughs> nutrition and the truth is if you're coaching someone you should be into nutrition right yep. so it wasn't as if oh the light bulb went off i'm like well shit i gotta get a new job i gotta start coaching nutrition it was something i had been doing all along it was just that a for the first time in my life, it was actually working for me. So I couldn't stop talking about it. And people just kept coming up to me and asking me what I was doing. So all the while I owned affiliates, it was like, hey, I promoted paleo. I promoted the zone. We did whole 30 challenges. I was always focusing on nutrition. I just never bought into it. You know, I never, and, and I'm sure my members didn't buy into it as much because they would look at me and 
like you said, it's body dysmorphia. Did I, was I fat? Was I obese? Absolutely not. But was I happy with what I saw in the mirror? No, but it was probably enough that my clients and my members were like, well, you know, I don't want to ask Jason about it because he doesn't care about it. Yeah. But it was always there. And it was once it really impacted my life, I was just, you know, it's like, like they say about CrossFit or being a vegan. It's like, you know, you won't shut up about it. <laughs> it was the same thing with nutrition. It was like, I'm going to tell everybody what to do. And anyone that would listen to me, I would set them up with macros and I would get them going. And ultimately, they would be successful. And more and more people just kept asking me about it. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's a super awesome story to start off with. Um, I totally agree with you when it comes to whether you're training someone. Like, if you look at the CrossFit pyramid, I mean, this is, I feel like working where I work, I, I often reference this every single day, but at the base of the pyramid is nutrition, right? So, like, if, if we're not talking to people about it, I think we're doing people a disservice when it comes to their fitness and, and, and life goals as well. Um, I heard you say, or maybe it was Savon saying on that podcast, that you can eat 3,000 calories if you're not an idiot. Why? I, you know, I don't know that I said exactly that, but I think I said, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I see with people is they're not eating enough. Yep. You know, nine out of 10 people that I talk to for the first time are significantly under eating, can't lose weight, don't understand why. Um, I don't think someone should listen to this podcast and be like, well, Jay said to eat 3,000 calories, so that's what I'm <laughs> going to do. It took me a long time to get there, but anyone listening can correct their metabolism. You know, for most people, if you're listening to this, it's their metabolism is just deranged. You know, whatever you've done your entire life has done that to you. For me, it was growing up wrestling and making these significant weight cuts. For my wife, it was, you know, going on fad diets of restriction and then overdoing it. So regardless of where we've been, we've messed things up. And if we start understanding how much nutrition we need on a daily basis, you can improve that metabolism and ultimately get to the point like I did where I went from eating 1,900 calories to 3,000 calories. Yeah, and I think that, that when I talk to my clients specifically, like not only is the metabolism better, you feel better, you sleep better, all that kind of stuff, but I think if you follow Jason on Instagram, you'll see one of the other benefits of having 3,000 calories is that you, you're more flexible. You can fit a lot more things in. Um, I think on your actual logo is a donut, if I remember correctly. Um, that is correct. So like, talk to me about the benefits of being a flexible eater when it comes to that, just because you know, as I always say, it's it's hard to fit a Dairy Queen Blizzard into nine, 1,900 calories maintenance, right, without gaining weight and also having the rest of the nutrients to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, that's a big misconception about flexible eating. Hey, you guys just eat whatever you want. And that's not the, the case at all, especially yeah. when you're first starting. You know, when I first started, like I said, my first set of numbers were based on 1,900 calories, you know, calculation I found online which included about 180 or so grams of carbohydrates. You can squeeze in a treat here and there, but you're not crushing, like you said, a blizzard or mac and cheese. You, you're having a little bit. And that's really what it's all about, moderation. You know, At the end of the day, that's how I would define flexible eating. It's moderation and understanding what you should and shouldn't be eating. So the challenge is you have to get through that hard time. For some people, that's one month. For some people, it might be six months. But end is worth it. So when I went from 1900 calories slowly to 3000, that's when I was able to add more food 
and more fun foods, foods I enjoy back into my life. You know, and for reference, I travel a lot with my wife. We eat most of our meals together. She's eating substantially more than she once did. And she gets to enjoy treats as well, not as much as I do. And just like if I worked with someone that was six foot, 300 pounds, they would get more than I did. Life's unfair a little bit, right? I can't eat that much because of my five foot three frame. But (laughs) you have to get to that point where you've improved your metabolism to really reap the benefits of flexible eating. Yeah, and as Jason kind of talked about too, the the point is that you're not, you know, you don't fit as many donuts, you don't AMRAP donuts into 3,000 calories and then kind of have a stick of broccoli and say we're good for our nutrients. Like it is a matter of fitting everything else in there first and then putting some snacks around the side. How do you how do you lecture that when it comes to nutrition with your CrossFit job? Because, you know, it's very clear that Greg promotes a eat meats and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. And then you also have the zone diet, which is similar to macros, but not quite the same thing. So how do you, uh, how do you juggle that? Because I'm sure people know if they see you at their level one or even their level two, they know who you are more or less and know that um, you own a nutrition company and you, own, you like a flexible approach. So how do you handle that question when it comes up? Yeah. I mean, I've had that question asked to me at seminars when I'm giving the nutrition lecture. People are like, wait a minute, you're the one you're eating guy. You're the one eating donuts. And, you know, I think Coach Glassman is a genius. And I think, you know, what he always does is really drive home the most important factors. But he's also very aware and, you know, smart enough to know it's, it's not the person that's having one donut per week that's the issue in this world. It's the people, you know, when he says off the carbs, he's talking about soda, he's talking about sugar, and he's talking about the people that go to McDonald's and hit the drive-thru and get the extra value meal. You know, I tell people, if you're weighing and measuring your small French fries, you're not a problem. It's when you're mindlessly drinking, you know, you get a big gulp these days, I don't even know how much, it's like 128 (laughs) ounces of soda, that's probably more sugar and carbohydrates that I consume all week. So... You know, there's that aspect to it. And I, the reason I feel comfortable and confident encouraging people to eat some of those foods is because I know what the alternative is. And it's that you're not going to eat them for six days, maybe even 30 days. But come day 31, you're going to go crazy. You're going to eat all of them. And you're probably going to have a really hard time reining it back in. So rather than doing that, I'd rather see you enjoy a treat here and there than go nuts on day 31. You know, and as far as the zone goes, the zone, like you said, is very similar to macros. It's just a more balanced approach to each meal. And I remember at my first level one, and it's still out there in CrossFit Journal 21, if you Google it, you know, that Nicole Carroll did the zone and she would, she zoned a tuna melt. You know, it's (laughs) the zone is you can still eat those foods, but you're going to be limited based on your block prescription. And I tell people that work with us, like, I don't necessarily think you should do the zone, but I think there's a ton of value into keeping balance in your macros over the course of the day. Me me personally, I track everything in my fitness pal, but I look at what I eat and try to be as close as I can to 40, 30, 30 at every meal because I know the benefits of the hormonal response I'm getting. You know, and even deeper than that is I can rely on the years of experience where I did zone. So Yes, I still think there's a ton of value to do it, 
but I think we need to have a long-term goal down the road, which is probably more so of just tracking your macros. And I do believe in the relatively near future, you're going to see a shift in that lecture. And do you think there's still value in an elimination diet of sorts? So like, is, is there value in people, you know, you know, eliminating grains for a month, eliminating sugar for a month and, and just kind of resetting themselves um, that way in, in trying out a RX prescription of CrossFit, if you will? A hundred percent. You know, I tell people flexible eating is not magic. Like if you have a gluten intolerance, you still have it. <laughs> the problem is without flexible eating, you're probably just consuming way too much. It's hard to overdo milk or dairy or gluten when you have a limited number of carbohydrates for your day. You know, and the great example I have is I never thought that I had an intolerance to anything. And one of my clients back, um, her name was Donna. She's like this little 80 year old Jewish woman. She made me my favorite thing that she used to make, which was sesame noodles. And she made me this huge Tupperware of it. And I get home from working one night and this Tupperware is in my refrigerator. I'm so excited. I was like, I'll have some. I finished the entire Tupperware. And the next morning I woke out, woke up in hives, covered <laughs> in hives. I was like, shit, I got bed bugs. I thought I had bed bugs. And I realized, no, I just had so much gluten that my body hit me. And it never happened before. And it's never happened again. But yes, you know, if you have an intolerance, you still have that. And there's a lot of benefit to eliminations. And we work with people that have autoimmune issues or that just want to see if they can become healthier, improve their blood markers, their biomarkers, that we encourage that. You know, my wife and I were just talking this morning that we're going to do 30 days of plant-based eating just to test it out. If you're not testing things, you're not growing, you're not really going to make yourself thrive because if you're always just relying on what's worked for you, you don't know if there's something better out there. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. Like even if, even like, even if you don't think yourself as doing a vegan diet um, in the future, if someone comes to you as a, as a vegan or a vegetarian, it's hard to provide advice if you've never even le at least tried it, like at least sampled the idea. I only have two more questions for you, Jason. I want to respect your time. One of the last questions I, 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 thought, I heard this from you, I think, on that podcast, and it was very interesting. I, I support it 100%. You said 90% of what I do in nutrition is mental. You're, you're a psychology graduate. Obviously, you use some of that today. What, explain that statement. Why is it so mental? Anyone listening to this podcast knows what they should do with nutrition. Yep. Anybody. I mean, anyone that walks into a CrossFit affiliate probably has a good idea. If you don't know what you should be doing perfectly, you certainly know what we shouldn't be doing. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to me talk, you know what you should be doing and you do the wrong things anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times I, I could tell you, I, could, I couldn't begin to quantify how many times I woke up with a tremendous hangover and said to myself, I'm never going to drink again until <laughs> next Saturday when I do it again, yeah. right? So we, we've done that and we all know what that is. So my job and what I'm obsessed with helping people with is improving that mental component so they don't want to do that anymore and so they learn from it. And that's what it is for most people. Most people aren't like, oh, just teach me 
what foods are healthy and I'll be perfect and I'll go from here. No, most people, it's like, I know what to do, but it's my three-year-old's birthday party. Or Susie from the office brings in cupcakes every Thursday. Or it's 19.5 on Friday and we're having Friday night lights and we're going to drink some beer. How do I handle those situations? That's what we have to do. And for most people, it starts with having a firm, deep connection to their why, knowing what their why is and why they're doing it. Because if you're listening to this and you think your why is to be fitter or to look better naked, that's not enough. Your why has to be connected to something much deeper than simply having abs in the mirror or else you're going to get there and feel unfulfilled when you get there anyway and either revert back or be lost. So you have to figure out what that is. And then once we figure that out, then we can really make some progress. Damn, man. That gave me like chills at the end there. Um, that's so true. Like your six why. Pack, the six pack gave you chills. <laughs> the why definitely like that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with and, and don't sit down in such a busy atmosphere in life these days to figure out why they do what they do. Because there's so many people that come to the gym, you know, five, six, seven days a week, give that hour hope they see results, but don't actually ask themselves, why are they putting like seven hours, which is a lot of time, a week towards fitness? The last question I had for you, Jason, just it's the Refocus Nutrition Podcast. I got into CrossFit fitness nutrition from a journalistic background because I thought that I was, I don't want to say angry, but I thought there's a lot of people that are doing things within the fitness industry that are just, for lack of a better word, wrong, and I'd, lo- I'd like people to refocus on something that is going to better their lives in a, in a positive way, and which is why I chose CrossFit, which is why I'm so focused on nutrition. What is one thing you think that people need to refocus their, their attitudes or mental aspects of their lives on more within fitness and nutrition so that they can get to that end point, whatever that end point is for them? Well, I think it's two things. One we kind of touched on, which is that why, but the second is you need to be grateful. And you know, that goes to most things in life. But when it comes to nutrition or fitness, CrossFit, you can achieve a whole lot in there. But if you're not fulfilled by that achievement, you're going to be miserable and you're going to be lost. So, you know, for me, it's like, oh, why did I do this? Because I wanted a six pack. I was sick of being chubby. I was sick of being the fat affiliate owner. I was sick of looking at my members and knowing they look better. And when I got a six pack, it was like, who cares? Like, this is cool. I'm happy. I feel good. You know, I got myself a hot wife, but now what? And, you know, now it's much deeper than that. Sure, I wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, flex a little bit, but it has nothing to do with my six pack and more to do with knowing I can inspire other people because of this. You know, the better I look, the fitter I am, the more people that are going to latch on and be like, I want to do that. I can do that too. And I don't care if it's they want to get a six pack or they just simply want to lose 10 pounds to be healthier for their kids. I need to be a leader and I need to lead by example. And that's what that represents to me. So for people listening to this, they need to understand what they're actually trying to succeed in. Because there's plenty of examples out there of people that lived really, really successful lives that most of us would be incredibly grateful for that have killed themselves, right? Look at an actor like Robin Williams, right? An actor that has made all of us laugh countless times academy award winner found hanging by his wife and that's simply because achievement without fulfillment is going to be disaster so i think for everyone listening yeah 
we're a little off topic. It's about nutrition, but understand why you're chasing after that. And that's going to help you lead to success down the road. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that like when you talk about the mental aspect of nutrition, you're right. No one, no one goes into McDonald's thinking this is the best nutritional decision they're going to make of the day. Like everyone understands that. So I think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, figuring out your why and going from there. That's everything for me, Jason. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast and talk to people about this. Where can people find you? Uh, and also, when can people expect to see, uh, not to put you on the hot seat, but when can people expect to see the best hour of your day so they can pick up a copy? And I'm, I'd love to gift a copy to, uh, to a lucky listener in the future. Cool. I know. And I read your email. It was like, is the book going to be out by the time we record? I was like, ah, no, it's not out yet. <laughs> it's in the, it's in, I would say it's in the middle editing processes, which means I have an editor. She's helping me work through it. And then we'll probably have to do a whole nother round. So what is it? March 21st today? <laughs> oh, maybe June 5th. June 5th is my 41st birthday. So that'd be really great to have it out by then. And I hope everyone listening is inspired because it's really all the lessons I've learned in my fitness career, be it about nutrition, box ownership, or being just a good friend and husband. So all those lessons I learned, and I hope that everybody will enjoy it. So I don't want to guarantee, but maybe when it's out, I'll be back on and we can promote it. And other than that, if you search own your eating, you know, this day and age, I don't think you have to provide all your handles. If you search own your eating, <laughs> you'll find us on Instagram, on Twitter, probably somewhere on Pinterest and Snapchat too. But the big ones that we use to promote are own your eating on Instagram. And then my personal feed on Instagram is the Jason Ackerman. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jason. And uh, yeah, I definitely will, would love to have you on, uh, on the podcast again to go more over your book once, once I read it. I wanna re I'm sure I'll just spend that day locked in my apartment and just reading as fast as possible. So yeah, I'd love to have you back on. Um, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you later. Well, hopefully the book will educate, inspire, and entertain you. I'm sure it will. <laughs>